Today on Ag News Daily. Allow a farmer to have a grain marketing experience with all the grain buyers they may work with. We can provide decision support and analytics to help the farmer sell their grain at the right price and at the right time for them. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is a soggy Tuesday here in the Windy City. I'm Mike Pearson, co-host of the podcast, joined as ever by Ms. Delaney Howell. Delaney, y'all driving any combines today? No, unfortunately I'm not, Mike, but I wish I was. Oh, so what are you up to today? I know you're out working with growers in one capacity or another. I am. I am out today with pork producers, actually, for the Iowa Pork Producers Association. I worked with a family this morning who, I thought this was really interesting, has, it's probably a three or four generation farm and has all four brothers who were able to come back to their family's operation. Oh, that's awesome. Good for them. Yeah. Which is, I just think that's really unique to have four brothers and a father who are all supported in some capacity by a family farm. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. It was really cool. Well, glad to hear it, Delaney. Even though you're on the road, you're making time to bring us some news in the world of agriculture. Why don't you tell us what's going on? Well, there's a couple different things going on I wanted to make sure our listeners were aware of. The first is a trade mission going on aimed at South Korea. And it sounds like we've gotten a an agreement put together between the U.S. and South Korea to give the U.S free market access to their rice industry. Under this agreement, Korea will provide access for about 150,000 tons of U.S. rice annually valued at approximately $110 million. So, you know, that's a pretty good-sized market, not maybe as big as a Chinese market per se, but definitely a good-sized market and exciting news for U.S. rice growers. Absolutely. Anything that can get uh, get more rice, just like all these other commodities we are so good at growing here in this country, is a win for American agriculture. Absolutely. We did see a loss for American agriculture earlier today. A federal court dismissed a lawsuit challenging the use of small refinery exemptions from the EPA. Um, basically, the Advanced Biofuels Association last year, well, I guess 18 months ago, in May of 2018, filed a lawsuit alleging that the um, EPA was going above and beyond its statutory limits in issuing small refinery exemptions, and a federal court dismissed the case. Now, I thought this was interesting. I don't know what this means, so any of our legal eagles, be sure to time, tune in or chime in, I suppose, is maybe the word I'm looking for. Um, hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just search for Ag News Daily. Let, let us know what this means. So the case was thrown out for, quote, a lack of ripeness. However, the court did note that valid concerns were raised by the Advanced Biofuels Association, which may be brought to court again when the case is ripe for litigation. So I'm guessing they just, because EPA is still kind of throwing out its proposals, maybe that there was, I I don't know. I don't know what that ripe for litigation means. So listeners Hmm. chime in, help us understand that a little bit. But uh, in the meantime, the lawsuit against the SREs will not move forward. Okay. Well, in some other biofuel-related news, I just thought this was an interesting piece of information that came across my inbox today. Looking at a way to, I guess, turn biofinery waste into valuable products. There's a research team at the South Dakota School of Mines 
and Technology. I believe that's up near Rapid City, South Dakota. And they are working on some initial pilots here to test new methods that turn biorefinery waste into valuable products because a lot of time the biomass or byproducts coming from ethanol plants and other biorefineries such as corn stover are usually just thrown away so they're trying to find a cost-effective means of using that waste product to help generate extra revenue for those ethanol facilities which have been at marginally low um you know break even if maybe lower margins yeah. and they're also looking to help reduce and lower fuel costs, reduce carbon emissions, and ultimately help farmers. So they're beginning that with a couple of different research institutes across the U.S., but I thought that was kind of interesting, something to keep an eye on. Do we know any of the products they're looking at trying to create? They, like I said, they're just in their beginning um, phases here of operation, so don't know yet how they're going to do that. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye on it. That would be a, an interesting Tech Tuesday if they can get something off the ground. Absolutely. Well, we do have an update from the St. Louis Federal Reserve. They do a survey of ag lenders every year, and they just released their latest, according to the Agricultural Finance Monitor. And uh, basically, the big headlines were all of the or a majority of the lenders expect farm income and expenditures to be declining in the year ahead. Um, they quoted a Missouri farm lender who said the low price of grain and the falling price of cattle are going to make it hard on low leveraged farmers and almost impossible for young, highly leveraged farmers. So they are still noticing some stress in the ag industry. I don't think that is very new news, but it's sad that... Uh, all these bankers continue to uh, report that. They did say that quality farmland values have fallen. The quality farmland values have fallen 1.7% in the third quarter from last year and are expected to, to decline even more heading into the fourth quarter, just as the lack of liquidity means that growers are putting their hands up less when they're bidding for high-quality ground. However, this really surprised me. Ranchland or pastureland values rose sharply, and they were up 10.6% from a year ago which I thought was shocking. Um, according to the survey, some lenders expect ranch and pasture land values to increase even more over the next three months. The survey also has two special questions. The first was asked about loan repayment expectations, and 70% of the respondents expected that operating lines of credit will have the largest increase in repayment problems, meaning that operating loans are going to be the toughest to get repaid on this year. The second question asked bankers about how they're dealing with loans that are delinquent. What is the type of workout arrangement that borrowers are utilizing? And I don't think this is shocking, but they are collateralizing unpaid portions of their operating lines. So they're taking that unpayable debt and they're leveraging it against usually farmland or other longer-term assets rather than keeping it as an unpaid operating note. Or they're making a long-term workout with their existing lenders. And those were the two responses that gathered the most answers from the lenders. Okay. Well, playing off of that a little bit, Secretary Sunny Perdue was at the National Association of Farm Broadcasters convention last Friday, so unfortunately I didn't get to hear him speak because I had to get back to tape market to market. But there were a few reporters that wrote down some interesting comments about just that, Mike, about what the Kansas City Fed has been reporting and what farm lenders and rural economy has been showing. And he basically acknowledged that producers are having to dip into working capital and rely on operating loans more heavily this year. Um, but he also 
it sounds like downplayed concerns about farm bankruptcies and noted that the interest rates still remain well below those 1980 levels. And he said, when the land is being sold off, it's going neighbor to neighbor and other farmers, as opposed to, you know, Wall Street bankers coming in and buying it out. I just thought, I don't know, it, it was almost, and this is of course just what a reporter shared, but it almost seemed a little, not distasteful, but just kind of harsh, you know, that he would say those things or downplay the concerns about the, about maybe 1980s repeating themselves. Well, you know, and I, I think he makes a really good point. Interest rates are the main fundamental difference between now and the 1980s. You can have an operating margin of 10% now and be very profitable. In the 80s, when interest rates were at 18, 19, 20, or 22% for some growers, you know, you were still 10% underwater. So th- there is a pretty big distinction there. Um, and, you know, sometimes harsh words are necessary when times get harsh. Sometimes you've got to say, look, we know this is bad, but it could be a lot worse which is, it kind of sounds like uh, maybe what Secretary Purdue was hinting at there. Maybe. That could be it for sure. Hopefully it doesn't get much worse. Yeah, hopefully not. But one issue that we have been continuing to watch is the propane transportation issues, and it sounds like we are trying to see folks in Congress actually step in and help facilitate this issue. Specifically, Senators... Ernst and Chuck Grassley of Iowa wrote a letter to the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC for short, to consider regulatory options to prioritize pipeline shipments of propane to northern states and send specifically to farmers and manufacturers who struggle to find propane. But as I found out on the interview with the National Propane Gas Association representative, there really isn't anything legally that you can do uh, to prioritize who gets that propane other than just pri- prioritizing that the pipeline is indeed shipping propane. So I'm not really sure what those folks stepping in really addresses, but I thought it was interesting that they put this in perspective because I, for one, didn't know. I think it was something like two gallons of propane dries about 100 bushels of corn. Oh, okay. All right. Good, so that good just, facts and figures there, Delaney. Yeah, thank, I just, I don't know. I always, it helps me with stuff like that sometimes just to have it a comparison. Yeah, visualize it. Yeah, exactly. And just to kind of build on that, we do have uh, just a final kind of update as to how that thing stand. Right now, Iowa, Minnesota, North Dakota, and Wisconsin have all declared state emergencies about yes. uh, this propane issue. Um, so they have issued motor carrier regulations, basically exempting some propane trucks from some of the hauling rules in Illinois, Kansas, Missouri, South Dakota, and Nebraska, so that hopefully the, those trucks, if the pipelines aren't working, they can ship it via truck, and those trucks can get to where they need to go with that much-needed uh, propane. Yeah, but, you know, I it, propane accessories. It, it continues to be an issue for those folks that need to dry down corn. And we've had an extremely wet year this year. And I think that that just is definitely reflected again in this week's crop progress results, Mike. Yes, indeed. Delaney, I've got those numbers handy. I'll run through what was 
reported by the USDA yesterday. Basically, the USDA said the corn harvest is currently at 76% complete. Traditionally, the five-year average, we are at 92% complete. Um, This won't be shocking to a lot of our listeners, but North Dakota remains the furthest behind after getting hit with that early season blizzard. They only have 23% of their corn out of the field. Ordinarily, this time of year, they've got 85%. Uh, Wisconsin, also similarly slow. Wisconsin's at 44%. Michigan is at 39%. Even Iowa has only 77% of our corn harvested, whereas ordinarily, Iowa would be at 93%. So that's the update there on the corn side. Soybeans are getting caught up a little bit. The total uh, amount harvested of soybeans is right now at 91%. The five-year average is at 95%, so only 4% slower than average there. So we are getting caught up. Uh, Nebraska is 99% harvested. Iowa is at 95%. Illinois is at 92%. And Indiana is at 91%. So, you know, we're making progress on beans. But, of course, that means, you know, corn is, is left to stand in the field as growers are prioritizing getting that bean crop out. Yeah, absolutely. So that's uh, another factor we'll continue watching. Absolutely. Well, Delaney, I'm all out of news. Do you have any other stories we need to bring to our listeners' attention, or should we dive in and see where the market's closed for the day? I think I'm out of news as well, Mike. All right, folks. Well, let's see where the market's finished. We've got a green day in the grains today. It was much stronger earlier in the day. We did see a pullback after about midday, but still finished positive. In the corn market, the December contract was up two and a quarter to finish at 370 even. The March was up three and a half to close the day at 380 and three quarters. In soybeans, the January 2020 contract was up one and a quarter cents to close at 911 and a half. March up one and a half cents, finished the day at 924 and a half. In Chicago wheat, the December contract up four and three quarter cents at 512 even. The March up four and a half cents, finished the day at 515 and a quarter. Looking over at the world of livestock, we've got a down day. Well, a mixed mixed trade in the live cattle complex. The December contract was up seven and a half cents at 118.7750. The February down a nickel, closed the day at 125.05. In feeder cattle, the January contract dropped 45 cents at 144.0250. The March down 25 cents, closed at 144.47. And looking over at the world of lean hogs, the December lean hog contract dropped 60 cents on the day to close at 62.15. February, also down 60, closed the day at 69.62 and a half. Looking over at the dairy market, in the world of Class 3 milk, the November contract was up 2 cents at 20.33. December, down 9, finished the day at 18.38. Without further ado, Delaney, why don't you tell us who we're talking to for our hashtag Tech Tuesday conversation? Well, Mike, there was an interesting group that I caught up with last week at the NAFB convention looking at some new technology for producers, and that is GrainBridge. So let's turn it over to my conversation. Well, I found a very interesting technology company for today's Tech Tuesday interview. I'm chatting with Faith Larson, the Chief Strategy Officer for GrainBridge. Faith, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So Faith, tell me a little bit about GrainBridge and the, the role or the, the space you fill in the ag tech space. GrainBridge is launching a new product called Stratum, and it's a platform that connects farmers and the grain buyers in the market. And what we aim to do is allow a farmer to have a grain marketing experience with all the grain buyers they may work with. We can provide decision support and analytics to help the farmer sell their grain at the right price and at the right time for them. So, to put things simply, would this be 
basically a, a way for a producer to have a marketing plan without having a full marketing plan? Absolutely. The farmer can have all of their farming operation inputted into the platform, whether it's input costs, yield information, everything about their operation, and then that can translate into decisioning and analytics for what is my break even, what are my profitability targets, and from there, they can see all the grain buyers they work with, access their accounts, pull their contracts, pull information related to those elevators they work with so that they can see the whole picture. Today, farmers are having to go to multiple applications or sites. They're using the phone, they're making calls, they're using Excel files, even paper. And so it's very difficult for them to confidently make an informed decision where they have a full look at the profitability of their operation and then translate that information into what do I need to sell at to have the margin that I need. Interesting. Okay, so looking at the 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 grain elevators or the people that are offering the bids, how do you go about collecting those people that then are able to connect with the producers and get prices and sales locked in? So this this technology in the platform is free to the farmer. So that's the key thing. So and then we work with the grain buyers on the back end to onboard them onto the platform. And so we're actually launching our product in the first quarter of 2020. And even at that time at launch, farmers would have access to more than 400 grain buying locations. And so we continue to onboard them. And then as, as their scale, a farmer will experience what we like to call density, meaning they have the ability to work with all these grain buyers um, and view their full position. And is there a certain geographic location that those 400 uh, locations are, are offered within, or is it all over the U.S.? We are, we are focusing on the entire U.S. market, and so there's a nice footprint that we'll start out with, and we're continuing to onboard more as we progress. And I think it's also important to ask, there are lots of different crops grown in the U.S., so are you focusing primarily on corn, soybeans, wheat, or is it going to be any grain a producer may grow. Yeah, so anything that's currently traded on the market and also what the grain buyers are buying today, we have an ability to add commodities into the platform at the request of the buyers and the farmers alike. So if I'm a producer using the platform GrainBridge when it launches next year, how do I ensure that the sales go through, that if I haul to a co-op or this elevator, I'm going to get paid? That's an excellent question. And, and I want to point out that the farmer can choose to sell grain on the platform, but they also can still reach out to their merchandisers or those that they have a relationship with if they feel more comfortable doing so. So it could be used in a variety of ways. And um, with that, the farmer would be able to, at, at a minimum, feel confident in that decision making. And so we'll release multiple versions throughout 2020. The first release will actually allow the farmer to view location information, cash bids from the elevator, pull their contracts, pull scale tickets, look at wait times, and that would be the first version. And from there, the platform will eventually allow them to sell grain on the platform if they wish to do so. And so are you focusing, it sounds like cash focused now, but will you ever be at a point where you're also offering futures options or ways for them to trade on the market as opposed to using a brokerage firm? Um, currently, we're just focusing on having that information feeding into the system, but certainly in the future, in the long term, that is something that we are considering. And we're working with farmers to understand what's the true value and what do they really need 
from this product to make them the most successful in marketing their grain. And so we're certainly considering that as we work through the product build. Well, and speaking with farmers, they are not shy to share their opinion with you. What, I'm sure you've done focus groups or product launches or test groups. What's some of the feedback that you've gotten from other farmers and producers? The feedback is really positive. And so the feedback that we have received is the most important thing is to create efficiencies, save time, and have something that's very simple to use. And that's what we're trying to do. And so eliminating time of manual entry, feeding in the right information, not having an overload of information, and then also making sure that this is the one location a farmer can go to to get what they need to make a confident decision. So in looking at the technology and entering technology or entering the information and all of that what kind of technology setup does a farmer need to have do they need to have a smartphone do they is it as simple as simple as that so whether you want to use your smartphone or a tablet or a pc the grainbridge platform would be accessible via anything our website is grainbridge.com and so a farmer can simply go there to open an account all right and so you said you're launching in 2020 yep the first quarter so sometime in first quarter of 2020 well, that is going to be really exciting. Um, for those producers that are interested in launching, maybe you're looking into it a little bit more in 2020. Tell me what the process is going to be like to sign up when I make an up when I make a, an account or whatever. Do I have to physically enter in all of that information, or does a Grainbridge representative help me through that process? So the farmer can visit our website, and even before creating an account, if a farmer wishes to just look at the information for their particular area. They can view cash bids from the elevators and ask, access certain information. And then they can proceed to register for an account online, which only requires a few pieces of information um, to get access. And from there, they can easily link into those agribusiness ac accounts so that they can pull their contracts and that information from the grain buyers. Interesting. So with the the financial pieces of that, I suppose, could this be used if producers decide, okay, I don't want to market my grain through this. It, it could just be used simply as a standalone product to do risk management and, and profit margins and all of that stuff as well? Certainly, certainly. So we we have the optionality for a farmer to use the product how they see fit. And hopefully in time, you know, sometimes it just takes a little bit of getting used to something and then they'll realize that there's additional potential or things that may be valuable to them. Got it. That makes sense. Sometimes producers can be a little shy maybe to start new technology. It's scary. And, and when you look at that, there are so many different companies that do, you know, similar things with risk management and finances. How does GrainBridge compare or, or differ compared to some of those other products that are out there? So the fact that we do have the grain marketing capability and the connection to the grain buyers is something that's differentiating in the market. There's nobody, no platform that is focusing on grain marketing and honing in on margin and profit to the extent that we are. So having the capabilities to view information from multiple grain buyers in one spot is really the key. Okay, that's going to be so interesting. So 2020, it will launch, grainbridge.com. A final question for you, when you look at the future of this industry, what other, I know it's still very preliminary, but what other functions or things do you hope to roll out with this platform? You know, we're trying to make the process as easy and seamless for the farmer. And so it's key to have the connectivity to other agronomic data, the machine data, satellite imagery, 
all of those other things that are valuable to the farmer that the farmer does want to have for their farm to have that feed in automatically into GrainBridge and have the connection there so that there's little input required. Well, I'm certainly excited about this new technology. I'm sure some of our listeners are as well. Faith, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Well, good stuff there. Interesting stuff. Always neat to hear about different technology in agriculture. It always is. And listeners, you can catch up on past Tech Tuesday episodes. See the other technology that has been unveiled in the past two and a half years that Ag News Daily has been broadcasting. Visit our website. Go to agnewsdaily.com, and that will take you to our home at the Global Ag Network. You can tune in to us and all of the other fantastic podcasters that participate in the Global Ag Network. Delaney, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.